Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. It consistently is, is this case, uh, a privilege to, to gather together. I, I am more aware. It's, it's kind of like absence makes the heart grow fonder. Not being able to, to gather together over the course of essentially two years, uh, especially here at H.C. Stafford, was grieving. But it's a, it's a gift to be able to be here. Uh, if this is your first time here with us, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you're able to join us here on a Sunday morning. Uh, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective. And our hope and our prayer is that as you come and join us, as we spend time in the Word, spend time in worship, that you feel a sense of community, that you feel a sense of belonging, but most importantly, uh, that you might encounter the person of Jesus. And that wherever you might find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure about Jesus, period, that you might just consider how that would shape your heart. It might lead you forward. When we sing a song like, like this one that we just shared together, uh, the word hallelujah is interesting because it just simply means praise the Lord. And so it's this consistent declaration and, and, I, and I appreciate the connection within the song of the poor and the powerless and just declaring hallelujah because sometimes it might feel like that is all we can do. That life is overwhelming and it is intimidating and it is frustrating and it is broken. And there is much that you have been empowered to do through the gifts that have been placed inside of you. But sometimes the best thing that we can do is to gather together and simply say, praise the Lord, even when it doesn't make sense. Because that's what love is. Love is acting in such a way towards another, despite the qualifications that we might associate with it. We're in the final week of a series that we're calling XOXO, uh, and we're talking about love. It's the love month, and we were kind of going through the different expressions of love that we might find in relationships, uh, whether it was the idea of singleness, dating, marriage, sex, all of these expressions of love that we often connect to the idea. But as we wrap up this series, I, I felt this really heavy on my heart, even in the context of the last four months. We haven't been together uh, here at H.C. Stafford for very long, even it was the middle of October where we really got a chance to be here. And then December came, obviously, and Christmas and time away. And now we're here at the end of February. And from the beginning of us returning, this has been my heart's prayer. This has been my desire that we might become a people who hunger and thirst for the presence of God. Not simply, simply from a place of uh, I know that's good for me, or I, I, I know that's what I should do, but it is a, a revelation of who God is that is constantly stirring this hunger within us that compels us forward, that leads us to, to act and to, to respond and to sing and to think and, and to plan according to this revelation that's within us. 
to, to have this passionate renewal in all that we do. Because I, I think it's one thing to have a revelation of who God is, and it's another thing to have that actually lead you to action. Often revelation of who God is, it can, it can come about in a lot of different ways. I think attending a church can some, sometimes be intellectual assent. I think the idea of Jesus is a nice idea, so I'm going to go to church. Or it's, uh, it's like a cultural adoption. My family's done it my entire life. It feels like the normal and right thing to do, so I'm going to continue to do it. Or perhaps it's like this apathetic continuation of a practice that you have just always carried for yourself. How quickly it becomes this idea of revelation that becomes this apathetic continuation. We've all been there. And I'm not saying that you just suddenly stop, but there needs to be an awareness of what love is actually meant to do within us. The word love is so easily misconstrued as an emotional experience that we share with others on an occasional basis. Or it's a feeling I have towards another. Or it, it, it just becomes watered down so easily when in fact... The love of God is supposed to be the core of your being. It's supposed to be the thing that transforms you and I from the inside out. But far too often, it doesn't happen. And we almost live in this one-night stand relationship with God. I've had an experience. I experienced the love of God. It was great. And man, I was emotional. It felt good. And we start to try to replicate an emotional experience rather than developing a real relationship. Because that's what a one-night stand does over and over again. And we have this, this spiritual paradigm that we apply to it because this is what feels good. Or this is the association that I make with love. And that doesn't actually compel you to healthy action. If love is simply this intellectual ascent, if love is simply a feeling to experience in the moment, then the action that will follow will almost always be selfish. And that is not the love that compels us to operate in the world as Christ desires us to operate. At the beginning of the month, uh, we were privileged to take part in a baptism here. And we got to hear Serena's testimony. And it is a powerful one. We're, we're, we're so gifted to hear the story of how God desperately pursues us. If you were here that Sunday, it was a, a story of how God pursued Serena even in the darkest moments of her life. And it's a reminder that we need sometimes. That even when you don't feel it, you are being pursued because that is what love that looks like Christ actually does. It continues into the unseen. It continues in the moments that are not felt. And it pursues us unapologetically. Because love always leads to action when love is founded in Christ. That's the response that we see in Jesus. But I believe that's actually the response that we're invited to see for ourselves. That if love truly does capture our hearts, what is the action it leads us to? And right action requires divine love. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture this morning. We're going to look at the, the person of Nehemiah. And I think Nehemiah provides an interesting case study 
of action compelled by more than simply a good idea. To provide a little bit of context, he, he received a report of how Jerusalem was in trouble and, and it was in disgrace and the walls of the city were broken down and the gates were burned down and it was in a place of disrepair and this place of so much meaning, not just for himself, but for the whole Jewish people. And this is what he says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. He writes this. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. His people were exiled, yet uh, this is what you need to know about Nehemiah. He had position. He was a cupbearer for the Persian court at the time. And he had a position that was high enough within the court that he actually did have the opportunity to speak to the king. But I was struck by this image, this individual of position, this one, one moment for him where there is this overwhelming sense of emotion that he sits down and he weeps. This isn't, this isn't a single tear that just falls down his cheek and he wipes it away. This isn't just, uh, I'm going to push on through and I'm going to keep on serving the wine that I'm supposed to be doing. This is such an overwhelming moment for Nehemiah that he sat down and he wept. I think that's significant. I can't think of many times in my life where I have been led to that moment. Now, even for myself, I, I don't cry easy, and I don't say this as some kind of boastful statement. It's just a reality for myself. But when I think about the moments in which I have cried, they've been significant situations. Uh, the passing of my grandfather, the, the moment when uh, we, we discovered that uh, Jessica and Derek, my sister, got into med school and was going to be going back to Calgary. The, the moment when I, the, I remember the afternoon that I found out I wasn't going to be able to go to med school. My, my, my wedding day was, was a joyful moment of tears. The, the, the day that we found out we were pregnant was, was, it was a joyful expression. All of these moments are, are these overwhelming sense that it's almost like you sit down and you weep. But I think it's interesting to, to recognize what tears they can, they can even show us. All of these moments, deeply emotional in different ways, all of them requiring a sense of reflection. And I would say that the shedding of tears can be a window into that which we love and into that which holds a deep emotional connection for our lives. The shedding of tears, I think, is born from a foundation of love. So to, to maybe provoke some thought for you, what has brought you to tears? What, what has led you to a place of, of this deep emotional response? And in reflection, what has shown you, what has it been shown to you in those moments that you love? The story of Nehemiah is a fascinating one because he would return to supervise the reconstruction, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And he did this in about the mid-5th century B.C. After his release from the Persian court, 
But it wasn't just a rebuilding of the walls, but it was a rebuilding of the Jewish identity. The, the book of Nehemiah outlines all of the ways that he was instituting these extensive moral and liturgical reforms. The walls might have been what people had, were seeing was being rebuilt, but it was actually the identity of the Jewish people, this, this return to God that was taking place. This was more than simply a love for country. So we read Nehemiah 1 verse 4, but in the next verse, in verse 5, it says this. Nehemiah continues, and he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He who keeps his covenant of love, he knew that the covenant that was kept between God and his people was one of extensive and unconditional love and he was drawn to the place of tears because he knew the love that was meant for him. It wasn't simply a love for country. It was a revelation of the love that was meant for him and for the people of Israel that sparked something new within him that, that drew him to this deep emotional place. Because when we have a revelation of the love of God, I believe that action truly follows. But here's the problem. Too often it doesn't. Too often we say we know that God loves us or that I, I've experienced the love of God, but that is where it remains. Now, if you've, if you've spent any time in, in church um, or in Christian circles, you've probably come across a sermon or two, a passage or two that talks about the idea of being content. Uh, the New Testament in particular, it outlines it over and over again. Paul talks about it often, even in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, it states, be content with what you have. The, the challenge that I see that sometimes arise with this kind of thinking, this, this, this focus on being content, is that I have seen this push to being content lead us to a lean of emotional apathy, a, a, a disengagement from reality. This feeling as if, if I'm upset or I'm angry or I'm driven in a direction, that somehow what's taking place is, is sinful. That, that just doesn't equate. It's, it's like believing that uh, children are to be spoken to and, and not seen and then taking them to a zoo and hanging out with all the elephants and then being surprised when the kid tells you over and over again, I want to go back and see the elephant. I want to go back and see the elephant. I want to go back and see the... You put yourself in a situation and you have this false equation of what it should actually be. If we are to just simply understand what it means to be human, you and I are emotional beings. You experience life. When life happens, you experience the fullness of it, and we have an emotional response. To be emotional is to be human. To be emotional is to be made in the image of God. There's nothing wrong with that. So there's a disconnect then if we are simply desiring to be content by having a sense of emotional apathy, to disengage from reality. The two don't connect. Be content is in the scriptures, but we need to read the scriptures in context. Be content in your circumstances is the consistent call. Contentment 
is meant to be based upon our convictions in Christ and not in our circumstances. And this is the hinge. If, if love is found in Jesus, our contentment is not simply an emotional apathy or a disengagement from reality, but it is a hinge that opens our hearts in directions that transform the world around us because of the transformation that's happened within us. It, it, it swings both directions. And Nehemiah had hit his hinge. Nehemiah had discovered this is the love that God has for me. This is the revelation that I have discovered. And now I need to act upon it. Nehemiah had discovered what we're going to talk about this morning, holy discontent. Nehemiah had discovered that love was going to lead him to action because of the holy discontent that had been sparked within him. Now, holy discontent, let's put a couple definitions to it. Let's try to explain it. Is, it is the love of God convicting our hearts to be his hands and feet. Holy discontent is when you experience an uneasiness about the brokenness of this world, which aligns with the heart of God, and that spurs us forward to take positive action to change it. Holy discontent is a motivation to action that is initiated by the Holy Spirit. It is a discontentment with sin and pain and sorrow that we see around us. And it's not all about us. It's actually about the glory of God. Holy discontentment flows out of our intimate relationship with God. And it is deeply sensitive to God's heart for people. So the love of God isn't simply meant to make you feel good about yourself. You should Discover your identity in who you are through the love of Christ that he has for you. And that needs to be our foundation. But if we simply receive that and we hold it, we are not actually going to find it to be satisfying. It's like we're, we're in a gymnasium. It's like you just played a, a full basketball game or you had to run lap upon lap upon lap and then you go to a water fountain and then you press the button on the water fountain and you taste that sweet, sweet nectar in that moment. You want it so badly and you drink up that water and then you pull your, your finger from the button and you wonder to yourself, why am I still thirsty? Why can't I enjoy that anymore? It's because we stop acting. There's a gift that's been given to us, a freely given gift of the love of God that when it hits us, man, it changes everything. You, you know those moments where love actually comes into our purview and it is overwhelming and it's exciting and it's transforming and then we don't do anything about it and we wonder, why don't I feel it anymore? To receive the love of God and then not act upon the love of God is to make a decision that I am just not going to continue in what has been freely given. And this is what holy discontent is. If, if we are to receive God's love, we are to be content in all circumstances. But it is also to be discontent as Christ was discontent with the world that we see around us. 
If we look at the Sermon on the Mount, that is discontent on discontent. That is Christ saying, I want a kingdom in this world that is beyond what we see around us. I want to be for the poor and for the powerless. I want to be for the hurt and the broken. I want to be for those who feel lost and and unseen. That is the call of God over and over again. And far too often we think that being content is to be disengaged when in fact to be content in our circumstances is to hear that holy discontent of God that might provoke us to action. But your holy discontent might be different than the person beside you, but our source is the same. Our source remains to be the love of God. And this applies to every area of our life. Every single area of your life requires the love of God, but without that holy discontent, without that provoking to real action, then it simply becomes a nice idea and it dissipates and we become who culture desires us to be, pursuers of self-preservation and self-preference. There's more that God wants for you than simply doing what makes you happy. To do, than doing more than simply what you think you love. This is, this is the call of our society, right? Do what you love. Do what makes you happy, no matter the cost. And, and we get our backs up in situations, perhaps when it feels uh, a little uncomfortable or it comes at the cost of others that we feel connected to. But how guilty are we of doing the same? We, we need to be a people who have some discontent within us. We need to be a people who feel provoked to action. Not based upon our own preferences, but because we have discovered Jesus. We, we, we hear all these like Christian-isms be transformed from the inside out. To receive all good gifts. To operate according to his will. That is to be provoked with holy discontent in a way that makes you a little uncomfortable. Have you ever felt this before? An injustice to maybe those less fortunate? Uh, an unhealthy environment that, that drains joy from your life? Uh, an act of unprovoked violence, an abuse of power. I, I think we should be feeling a sense of holy discontent when we are aware of the situation in, in the Ukraine right now. I think every follower, every person on the planet, but especially every follower of Jesus, you should feel a sense of holy discontent because something evil is taking place. Power is being abused. And it can't be allowed. It should should spark something within you. We should not be content in that circumstance to leave it as it is. Because love would have us say and do something. Jesus operated in this way. We, we all have a zeal for something. When I think about all the ways in which I operate in my life and the, the ways that I spend my, my quiet time, man, I know I have a zeal for sports. I know this. Um, because it is the thing that gets me in trouble when we're on one-on-one dates and I'm checking my phone. It's probably because I'm checking sports. Um, 
and I love my wife a lot, just sometimes sports comes in there. And, and I think to myself, I wonder who's winning the game tonight as she's talking. And then I realize that my love is not loving me too much in that moment. She's not happy with me. Love leads you to, to action. Love has you, has you pay attention to things. And love leads you to actual zeal. Jesus does the same thing. Uh, in John 4.34, Jesus, he, he calls his zeal for God his food. It's something that nourishes him. He says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Especially coming out of an extremely dangerous and divisive, hurtful season, I would say, for, for the church and for people in general. Uh, there's been a lot of issues where people have sat on multiple sides. Regardless of the issues that you've sat on or the sides that you might fall on, I believe this. I believe that submission to Christ, following Jesus, would have us ask this question. Is my discontent, is my, is my feeling of frustration a holy one, pursuing the kingdom of God here on earth, or is it filtered based upon my personal preference? If your love favors only your personal preference, your love for self is greater than your love for God. Holy discontent is when our love looks different than simply appeasing ourself. This is, this is a truth that we've seen throughout history. These world changers have adopted this position. Martin Luther King, he talks about this idea. He uses a little bit different language. He calls it divine discontent. In a sermon in 1963, he, sa he says that discrimination should be met with divine discontentment. And that holy discontent it leads us to faithful action and it leads us to a response that's based out of Christ Matthew 6 verse 31 to 33 it says this it says don't be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear he's saying he's saying be content for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all but and here's the big but that comes in Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Be content, but seek the kingdom of God. Be content, but go after his righteousness, right relationship with people around you. Be content, but have love lead you to an action that looks like me. It's both and. It's not either or. We need to be a people who do both. This is the hinge that we find. Contentment can be both being present in a situation and being provoked to action. We need to see and have the opportunity to, to do both. We should welcome these feelings of divine discontentment. But this is the challenge that I often find. That when we have a divine discontentment that starts to, do, to grow within us, this can actually become a space where the enemy starts to communicate lies of paralyzing discouragement. Starts to make you feel as if what you are experiencing is just you. You know what? You need to get over it. It's past repair. You can't do much about it, actually. And it's this paralyzing discouragement but this is a precious space into which 
the enemy is, is eager to jump into. Because if you and I, if we are people who actually capture this idea of being discontent for the things of God, how much more would all the spaces that we occupy be different? What, what would be the lens and the perspective that we would bring to it? We, we say we want to make our workplaces better. We want to make our schools better. We want to make our, our homes and our families just healthier and better places. There has to be more than good intention. There has to be this revelation of love that leads us to discontent because there will be moments of failure within it. There will be moments of brokenness within it. But when the discontent is founded in the love of God, you can push through because you know that it is not based on your personal preference. It's based upon the kingdom of God that has transformed your life in such a way that it wants to transform the world around you. We need people who are discontent. We need to be that church. And we need to be a church that sees that in all the spaces we occupy because we have been transformed by the love of Christ. Now here's the thing. Uh, when you listen to a situation like this and maybe you experience paralyzing discouragement, this is what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants you to, to think to yourself, well, you'll never be enough, rich enough, smart enough, fast enough, engaging enough, whatever it is, it's always anything enough, insert word. And what it can provoke is our discontent can either become divine or destructive. Because I think we've seen that in this season. Who has felt discontent about something in the past two years? Everyone has. And what's been the cost? Often it is destructive. It pushes people apart. Breaks relationships. Creates hurt. Even the most holy of our discontent requires wisdom. Whenever we talk about complex issues, I think we're dealing with multiple perspectives and layers, often in a single sentence. Have you had these conversations with someone where you disagree about something and there's a lot of different things at play and you feel a, a passion and a conviction on one side of the, the equation and you know that they do as well and pretty soon you're at a head and it's overwhelming and it's, and it's compelling how it just gets there so quickly. I saw a post from John Tyson. He's a pastor out of New York City. And he was outlining some of the ways in which we sometimes need to process through these conversations. So you can pop this up on the screen. Um, there's at least six of them that he outlines. And he talks about the public perspective, the policy perspective, principle, pastoral, personal, and prophetic. And these are all the different perspectives that people are bringing into a conversation. All these layers that are a part of it. And what it is, is that love is to discern where people are coming from in the midst of the conversation. Healthy filters of understanding are required in discerning our own frustration. What, what ones are you coming from? And to discern their frustration. And this is, this is where it leads us. Maturity 
is learning to hold multiple perspectives in mind at all times. And this is often where we fall short. Because my conviction is a heavy conviction. I feel something intensely. I'm going to tell you about it too. (laughs) And then we, we get locked in to our singular perspective, so much so that we can't hear where the other person is coming from. We can't hear the hurt and the brokenness that they might have experienced, a personal perspective, a a principled perspective, and we can't have a conversation that actually brings life because here's the thing, holy discontent is meant to bring life into dead spaces. So pay attention to the fruit of your discontent. If it doesn't look like Christ in the fruit of it, then are you looking like Christ in your action within it? Because the goal of holy discontent is not to be right. It is to faithfully pursue kingdom change in the world. So here's my questions for you this morning. I want you to to mull on these this week if if you can remember even just one of them. Is the discontent you might feel in an area of your life simply going to change the world for you? Does your discontent simply foster discouragement? And does your discontent desire personal fulfillment or kingdom impact? Hear this in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. Equips you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I remember hearing this verse and, and thinking to myself, man, that, that is a good thing. I'm so glad that God gives me all the good things that I need to do things according to his good will. But you know what he actually gives us? He gives us the things that are difficult for us. He gives us this holy discontent. He gives us a way that provokes us to action according to not my will, not my preference, not my selfish desires, but to his will his purposes, to his kingdom? How are the ways in which you're operating going beyond your own personal agenda? And if you are asking this morning, God, give me a heart that looks like yours. Give me me a heart that breaks after the things that breaks for you. Understand that this is the promise, that he's going to equip you with everything good for doing his will. And what is good is holy discontent, and we need it to do his will. We are founded in the love of Christ. And to to do things according to his will, we need a revelation of that unconditional love. This relentless love, a sacrificial love, a freely given love. And we can talk about all the ways in which love is part of our lives, but ultimately... It is about seeing that our love is insufficient, but God's love is perfect. That 2,000 years ago, love came down in the person of Jesus, moved into the neighborhood, became human, flesh, 
Jesus came to seek and save all who were lost with no qualification. And though his love was rejected, he continued to pursue you and I. So that we might experience the fullness of life. So that we might experience the healing that we need in this world. Because the love of God never gives up. And upon that cross, a victory over death was won. And that pursuit that led Jesus to the cross, that ultimate act of love, took place so that you and I might share in that love here and now and for all of eternity. So, so hear me this morning. We need to found our life simply in the love of Jesus and then have that compel us to action. And it's in every area. Found your love in Christ. If you're single, your relationship status doesn't determine your value. If you're dating, your identity is not in whom you love, but in whom loves you. Found your love in Christ. If you're married, you don't complete each other, you find your completeness in Christ. If you're divorced, found your love in Christ. A miracle of healing and transformation never stops being possible. If you've lost your loved ones, found your love in Christ. The comfort of God is what meets us and pursues us to the very end. May we be a people whose lives are centered upon Jesus and whose relationships are shaped by him. A people who are salt and light in the earth. A people who are hungry for more of the presence of God. A people this morning that are so overwhelmed by the love of God that we might be like Nehemiah. Brought to our knees, weeping with the holy discontent that we can't shake. That will lead us to have the action that love would ask of us. Love is more than a good idea. Love is more than an emotional feeling. Love shapes us from the inside out and leads us to be the world changers that we are designed to be. If you're here this morning and and we're talking about Jesus and this is not someone that you know or have a relationship with, let me just invite you that in all the things that we're discussing, it is a gift that is freely given. There is no qualification. There is no requirements that you need to check off. It is simply a decision to say, Jesus, would you come into my life? Jesus, would you come and shape me from the inside out? I don't know what to do. I don't know how I got here. I'm broken and I'm sinful and I am past repair. Would you do something with my life? Know that he is pursuing you just like he has pursued myself and so many in this room. And he wants to know you this morning. And that's the beginning of everything. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you have found Jesus at moments in your life, but yet you have not sensed his nearness, you've lost a purpose within being a follower of Christ, know this, you are eternally pursued. Even when we say, yes, come into my life, Christ never stops pursuing us. And we are never not in need of a Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to to go into your word and see what your love does to your people. 
that it leads us to action that is beyond ourself. I pray for every single person in this room this morning and for all who might be listening. I pray that they would sense a personal holy discontent that would lead them to be the kingdom shapers that you desire your people to be. Thank you for the city and this place in which we live. Thank you for this school and for this community, for our neighbors and our friends and our families and our workplaces. I pray that you would begin sparking something a little uncomfortable in every single person this morning. That those who would claim to be followers of Christ, that this would not just be a, a nice idea, but it would be something that would spark this holy discontent, a desire for something that would lead love to action. Do something new, something fresh within each and every one of us, within our community. Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want to look like you and talk like you. We want to be a, a part of what you're doing in this world. Jesus, begin to make the kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Through your people, convict our hearts. And for those in this room who are making that prayer, I pray that they that they receive that wholeheartedly and it begins to lead them to new beginnings in every area. Thank you that this is your will, that we are your people, that you love us through every season, that you're here for us this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.